Welcome to HR Latte, your connection to all things HR. Today's great HR department is foundational for today's successful business. Listen in as host Rayanne Thorne gets personal with practitioners and technologists, experts and thought leaders who care about the world of human resources. And now for your next cup of talent management, whipped to perfection. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to HR Latte. I'm continuing my series, Building Organizations That Leap Tall Buildings in a Single Bound. I have invited back my guest, the speaker, author, and advisor on cultural change, the individual who actually wrote this book, Building Organizations, Ron Weens. Hi, Ron. Thanks for joining me again. My pleasure. Well, it's really great to talk with you. And today we're going to talk about one of the pillars of intelligence is what I'll call it, emotional intelligence. So let's dive right in and talk first, what are emotions? I, I mean, throughout this chapter, you ask it a couple of different times. What are emotions? Okay. Emotions are actually very simple. Emotions are memories. We are a product of our evolution, and it's useful to understand emotions in that context. Emotions are a very special form of, mem of memory. They're a very efficient shorthand memory. Now, the purpose of any memory is to allow us to learn from what we've experienced so that we can make better decisions in the future. And in terms of our evolution, this gives us likely a, great, a, higher, a higher likelihood of, of propagating the species. But emotions tend to fade, or the memories associated with emotions tend to fade more slowly over time than our detailed memories. If we can think back of a significant event that happened to us, the birth of our first child, our wedding, uh, high school graduation, the details are very fuzzy 20, 30 years on, but the emotions are still there and they're strong. And years later, it's as though it was only yesterday. And herein lies the value of the shorthand memory called emotions. If we tune into our emotions, we can receive incredibly useful messages from the past that inform us about what to do next. And I can illustrate this through a, an amusing example, if you permit me. And it's a story about our cave-dwelling ancestors. In this particular family, uh, the male goes out, the hunter-gatherer, and this is berry-gathering day. Uh, the berries are all out, out, out on the bushes, and he goes out during the day. He goes out during the day because he knows that the taggers only come out at night. And he, he doesn't have to think about it. He doesn't have to constantly say to himself, oh, don't forget the taggers, don't forget the taggers, because the emotional memory will kick in as soon as the light starts to fade. And you know, he, when, the, when the sun starts to go down, he'll feel immediately a sense of fear. Then he'll realize taggers, and he heads back home. He has enough time to get back home so he can proceed in a safe manner and carry his berries with him. But this emotions, this memory is a double-edged sword. The emotions are very sensitive in that they are easily triggered. The philosophy is better to be safe than sorry, but they are not necessarily specific. Emotions were hardwired into our brains to trigger automatically as self-protecting responses. So next day, the berry picker goes back out, and it's midday, no problem. But a heavy cloud comes over very rapidly and darkens the sky. This emotion kicks in, this, this fear comes into him, this irrational fear. He feels it. He drops his basket of berries, runs home. He gets there, and the, and the sun is now shining. And his spouse is standing there, hands on hips, saying, don't tell me. You got scared by the clouds, and you dropped your berries again. 
So emotions can work for us or work against us. Now, what does the emotionally intelligent cave dweller do in this circumstance? A strong emotion could be helpful or it could be incredibly misleading. It could save your life or it could cause you to starve if you keep dropping your berries. The adaptive thing, the emotionally intelligent thing is to be curious about your emotions, i.e. be aware of, of, hey, I'm feeling an emotion and to feel it, to massage it, to understand it, to see what trigger and then make a decision to whether you're going to pay attention to this uh, emotion or not. You know, there's basically three types of berry pickers in this case. The first two are emotionally unintelligent. The first one is a berry picker to the death. Even when he feels the emotion, he ignores it, the tigers get him. The starving berry picker, every time that a cloud goes over, he drops his berries and runs home. And then you have the third one, the, the emotionally self-aware berry picker who has all the same emotions as the previous two, but is able to evaluate the relevance of this emotion and then make the right choice instead of impulsively reacting. Most of us are somewhere between one and two. Right. And but we can move ourselves consciously towards a highly emotionally intelligent berry picker. So let's address that. We're talking about emotional intelligence today on HR Latte with my guest, Ron Weens. Thanks again, Ron, for joining us today. I'm wondering, and we didn't talk about this prior to the call. I always like to let my guests know kind of the direction that I'm going to go with the, the questions. But as I'm listening to you speak, I'm wondering if there is a difference between a male berry picker and a female berry picker. I mean, women um, have been known to be a little more emotional, or is that just a perception? Because I have a feeling that it's we just display emotions differently. It's um, not that one is less emotional than the other or more emotional than the other. What do you think? Okay, I can only share my personal experience. Okay. And in, in terms of being emotionally intelligent, I don't think there's a great deal of difference. Okay, good. Now, now, they're coming from different points on the spectrum that the socialization of the female gender has allowed them to, to live more in their emotions. And as the male, they tend to ignore their emotions. So in terms of the berry picking, the male would be the berry picker to the death where the female would tend to be the starving berry picker that would, when the cloud comes over, drops it and runs home. Neither is being served. And your question is, is, a, is an excellent one because it goes to our workplace. In our workplace, which is male-dominated, sure. still, unfortunately, that's changing, organizations tend to ignore emotions. Now, you can ignore em emotions, but whether you talk about them or not, they are there. And they're either serving you or not serving you. And if you're not paying attention to them, if you're not working on them in your organization, then it's a pretty high probability that your emotions are not serving you. And I'll give you an example. I talked about the males not paying attention uh, to their emotions. But I'll, I'll give you an example, a real work example, in involving a female. A colleague of mine did a new hire into, into his team, and he hired a lady highly competent highly experienced, came with a glowing set of references. When she got into the team, almost immediately she became very aggressive uh, towards a particular fellow on the team. And no matter what this fellow did, he would criticize. No matter what he suggested, she would tear it apart into tiny little pieces and would do so without mercy. And she would even do this in front of clients. 
she didn't seem to be able to, to stop herself. And, and this sort of aggressive, almost attacking of, of this fellow harmed the team, and it actually caused the team to lose a key client. When the dust settled and it, and it came to light what was going on is that the lady had got, recently gone through a very messy divorce. And when she joined the team and she saw this other her teammate for the first time, he just happened to look exactly like her ex-husband. Mm, wow. And what her emotions were doing, they were desperately trying to protect her. They were trying to help her. Right. But her emotions caused her to end up attacking a member of her own team. So this comes back that if you're not consciously and explicitly aware of your emotions at all time, if you're ignoring them or acting out of them, then you can do yourself and your organization harm. And the lack of emotional intelligence can cut deeply into the profits of an organization. So I talk and write a great deal about instinct and gut in business. Does, yep. does emotional intelligence play a big part of that? Oh, it's a great question. And it's one of the things when I work with leaders, I tell them to listen to their gut, right. uh, especially when making complex decisions. Because your, your gut, which is basically your right brain and, and left brain working together, will tell you a better answer sooner. But emotions are simply the memories of our experiences. Mm -hmm. They're the short memory of, of all of our experiences. And emotions, if we had to stop and think through everything one step at a time, there'd be no point making a decision because the competition will have already made it. So emotions can point the direction. As long as you're paying attention to them and you realize which emotions you're paying attention to. Right, right. Emotions are like an uh, early warning radar system. Yes, they are. They certainly are. I've, I've actually used that many times in my life as a radar. That's a great way to put it. When we talk about the value of emotional intelligence in the workplace, how can we turn around and use that? Is it similar to gut or is it going to be one of those things that we have to really tune into because when I think of gut, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of my intelligence. It's a combination of what I have already learned yep. and then also what I've already felt. So that taps into the emotion side of it. How can we recognize the value of EI or emotional intelligence in the workplace? Well, EI is particularly relevant to the particular time that we, we find ourselves in. And it's because we are moving out of the industrial age into the knowledge a worker age. And there's sure. something, there's something unique about the knowledge era that makes emotional intelligence particularly important. And the defining characteristic of the knowledge era is constant change. And, and this frequent change means that if you want to have competitive advantage, you better have employees that embrace change as opposed to employees that are subtly and quietly when no one is looking, throwing out boat anchors. Right. Right. That's slowing the organization down. But here is the challenge. And I'm going back to our cave-dwelling ancestors because it's very relevant. Our cave-dwelling ancestors are influencing us today. Our ancestors survived because anything new or unfamiliar was a presumed dangerous until proven otherwise. People that didn't believe that got taken out of the gene pool. <laughs> Unfortunately, that, that, that's not serving us uh, uh, today in short. The majority of us are doomed to coping with negative warning feelings every time we do something significantly new. And this is because emotions are lag indicators. They tell us about something that happened in the past. 
they're not lead indicators. And it's very difficult to have a good feeling about something that we've never done before if it doesn't feel safe. Right. And, you know, and it's, it's until we've experienced it as, as safe. And so we live in this time of change. And what are we as a species? We're a species that has an instinct fear of change. That's not going to serve us well, but emotional intelligence is part of the way around this. So I'm glad you brought this up because one of the sections in this chapter talks about fear or, or change equals fear, which you just mentioned, and how we can shift that to understand change equals opportunity. And I know that it's very, it's obviously very different, as you mentioned, than the cave dwelling days. So how can we make that shift and really see change as a, a new door opening, as a way to increase our knowledge or increase our experience, as opposed to being afraid to step through that door? Okay, you've gone to the question that is relevant to almost every single organization now and is relevant to how we manage and lead within our, in our organization. The antidote to change equals fear is a strong belief in self. It's belief in self provides a foundation. You know, if I'm able to understand what I'm good at, if I'm able to trumpet my own successes, and unfortunately, this is not bragging, this is an absolute essential requirement for living in a world of constant change, but we do not promote this uh, type of attitude of self-recognition. But if I have a strong belief in myself, then I have the potential to engage in new things because I can see myself as being successful. But something just as important happens. When I have a strong belief in myself, I'm more willing to raise my hand when I'm in trouble and ask for help. And I'll give you two knowledge workers. I'll give you an example of two knowledge workers. The first knowledge worker is working away and goes into the weeds and realizes things aren't working out. And then looks and says, well, I only have to report quarterly. That's two and a half months away. I don't have to say anything just yet. And they continue on into the weeds, going deeper and deeper. The second knowledge worker says, I'm into the weeds. Something's not going right here. I'm good. I'm smart. I'm successful. But I'm missing something. Need help. The second knowledge worker had high emotional intelligence. They knew their strengths. They knew their weaknesses. And they were raising, they were, they willingly raised their hands. Of those two knowledge workers, which one do you want? The first one, which is blind to their strengths and weaknesses, or the second one, which, hmm. you know, the second one will allow you to sleep at night. Right. Uh, <laughs> I like sleeping, but I also like the opportunity to know that there, that you can learn, that it's, but, be, it's more, there's more yeah, than what you know. So, but here's the thing here's the thing emotional intelligence does not remove the fear of change. Hmm. Okay, it teaches you to expect the fear, though. It gives you the ability to make a conscious decision to let that fear wash over you and then carry on with the new emotional intelligence. When you become aware and you practice awareness, so it's it's there's a strong sort of Buddhist thing going on here of of being self-aware. You are finally freed from your hard your hardwiring. You know your prehistoric tendency to react blindly out of emotions no longer has a hold on you. But that's not the only problem, is emotions come from our experiences. But here's the real kicker. We can actually build emotions without experiences by simply talking to ourselves. And I'm talking through self-talk. And this is a huge problem that affects performance in, in organizations, is we all walk around with two buckets. 
a negative bucket and a positive bucket. And into the positive bucket, we put the good things that we say about ourselves. Uh, and into the negative bucket, we put all the bad things we say about ourselves. Oh, I'm not smart. I'm not clear. People won't find me interesting. And we are experts at filling that negative bucket. And we put precious little into that positive bucket. And if our friends spoke to us the way that we speak to ourselves, there wouldn't be many friendships. Oh, that's for sure. But the problem is, <laughs> the problem is, is that by speaking to ourselves, we build up a belief, a negative belief about ourselves. And then we start to regulate our performance to that negative belief. Now comes in the role of the manager and leader is about changing those beliefs. Thanks so much, Ron. We've been speaking with Ron Weens, the author of the book, Building Organizations That Leap Tall Buildings in a Single Bound. This session episode, we, we discussed emotional intelligence. Our next episode, we're going to attack relationship intelligence and its impact in the workplace. And Ron has extended a very generous offer. He'd like to give away three copies of his book. So anyone who, or the first person that tweets me at HR Latte on Twitter, H-R-L-A-T-T-E, will receive a copy of Ron's book and then we'll um, give away another one at our next episode. So thank you, Ron, so much for joining us today. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. I look forward to it too. It's been a pleasure to have you. We'll be back. Make sure you tune in for the, our follow-up episode, uh, Relationship Intelligence. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.